Well, you know, Easter is like the biggest attendance, high attendance day, and Mother's Day is always number two, but I don't know what happens to Father's Day. (laughs) What was that? Yeah, they sleep in, go play golf, whatever. I've heard that over the years, but uh, yeah, you're here. That's a good thing, and uh, Mother's always like, you're coming to church on Mother's Day. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, heard, I hear you. I was wondering why you were here, Dan. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, happy Father's Day. It's, uh, it is, it's, it's cool. Uh, and Dan, I do appreciate your story. It's a great story. I, too, come from a, a divorced family and um, grew up with my mom, but I do have a good, great relationship with my dad and uh, love my dad, and he's 83 and uh, lives in Paris, Texas, so we get to see each other probably once or twice a year, and it's a beautiful thing, but um, let's pray for you, some of you that have lost your dads recently, some of you that uh, have struggled as Dan said through the relationships we just pray for you and that God would just bring grace to you and uh, just enjoy the day with your family today so uh, if you weren't here earlier we took our high school students to our core high school students to um, with Door County Wisconsin this week we left on Wednesday morning and we got back last night at 3 30 in the morning in the middle of the rain uh, so uh, I'm going on about two or three hours of sleep, but that's all right, because uh, I'm ready to go. And here's the cool thing is what we did this week, because I knew I wasn't going to get my Sunday morning, early morning time that I normally get, and what I typically do is I, I decide what the passage of Scripture is that I'm going to try to cover on Sunday and print it out, and I just read it over and over and over and over again all week long. That's what I do. That's, that's the preparation read it over and over and every day something new is revealed I, I truly believe I could go go back right now and and honestly on Sunday morning standing here things are revealed to me <laughs> it's the craziest thing and I'm sure it would probably happen today uh, but I did this with the students this week the high school students I gave them these exact passage of scripture that we're going to go through today and just had them every morning read read through it, and so I got some insight from them this week, which is, which is good. So I'm excited about teaching you. We're continuing our story in the Gospels. At this point, <clears throat> Jesus has uh, done many miracles, and he's done one messianic miracle at this point. He's healed a Jewish leper, which had never been done before, if you're a guest with us. There are these messianic miracles that aren't mentioned in the scripture, but if you go back to Jewish culture and tradition and what they knew is that before Jesus came along, they had decided that there were going to be three messianic miracles, and if anybody did these miracles, these specific miracles, it's a sign that they're probably the Messiah. And the reason they chose those three is because They did a lot of miracles themselves. The Pharisees did. But they couldn't do these three. 
And so it, she, it would be a sure sign. And so what we've seen already is one of them is that when Jesus healed this Jewish leper, he told the leper to go back to the tabernacle and to see his priest because there's this whole spiritual cleansing that he has to go through once he's been cleansed of leprosy. That's all mentioned in Leviticus. Everything that the priest has to do, there's this, you go through and read the scripture about being cleansed as a leper. And so Jesus sends this Jew leper that has been cleansed back to his priest to go through this. And the priest is like, what? We've never, ever, ever, ever had to use these before. And so he did. And then all of a sudden the Pharisees got got together and said, hey, we've got to go see. Is this the Messiah? And right now, he, he was born in Bethlehem in a manger. He's the son of a carpenter. He's born in Nazareth. What good comes out of Nazareth? And they're like, this can't be the Messiah. We expected Superman. We expected somebody to come in here and just, just totally destroy all of our enemies. That's the Messiah we're looking for. Well, that wasn't Jesus. And so Jesus continues with his story. And we pick up with Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 today. If you haven't been here, we've been taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, which are called synoptic. They're similar, and they weave together. Most of them, the other three, Matthew, Mark, and John, typically aren't in chronological order. But Luke kind of is. He's the one that's more exact. And Luke is just kind of different. They're all kind of different. They've all written differently. We know that Matthew was a Jew and he wrote to the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans. Luke wrote to the Greeks. And John just kind of tells the story about how he loves Jesus. It's kind of interesting. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, it says this. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. I think uh, it's interesting to note, we've already said that Jesus' hometown is just north of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. And he'll say here that uh, most of the miracles are, are done in that area. But we also know that in the recordings of the four Gospels that a lot of the miracles are done down in Jerusalem. Like you, you read and read and read those different miracles like the, the, the healing of the blind man where he spits in the dirt and puts mud in his eyes and tells him to go wash off down there. There's all sorts of miracles, but in the scriptures right here, it just says, he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done. If we read, if we read that most of the miracles are done in Jerusalem, but the scripture says, Really, there was more miracles done elsewhere. There's a lot of miracles that aren't even recorded in Scripture. I mean, that's, it's kind of interesting how... And it's interesting, Matthew chooses different miracles. Mark's chosen different miracles. John, Luke, they've all chosen different miracles. And Jesus says this, Woe to you, Tereson. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth ashes long ago. But I tell you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment for you. And you, Capernaum, 
Will you be exalted to heaven? I know that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to you right there. And what Jesus has said right here is this. Is that Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida, those three towns that he mentions, are all kind of like right up there on the north part of the Sea of Galilee where he's headquartered. And he says, most of the miracles that I've done have been right here. And the Pharisees have been watching him. This is his crowd, remember? He's got the Pharisees and the religious leaders that are just following him and observing him at this point. And they're saying that he's not the Messiah. But then he mentions Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, that are on the actual Mediterranean coast. They're far off. And if you look at the history of those two cities, they're Gentile cities. In other words, they're pretty evil cities. Like they worship pagan gods. They worship multiple gods. And he says, it's better for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than it is for you in Capernaum and Cherezen and Bethsaida. They have a better chance in the end than you do right here because they might believe and you're just like totally closed off. Like, this is his headquarters. Yeah, he's got followers, he's got disciples and everything else, but who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the religious leaders of the Jews. Those those men, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, They're the ones saying he's not the Messiah, he's not the Messiah, and all the nation of the Jews are listening to their leaders. It doesn't matter what Jesus did. It doesn't matter what miracles he did. They're listening to the Jewish leaders. Yet, Jesus still has disciples. He he says, in Capernaum, and you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven. I know if you go back to Matthew chapters 8 and 9, Five of the ten miracles that are listed right there are done in Capernaum. He says, you, Capernaum, will be exalted to heaven. It's a question. You will go down to Hades. Now, when I left here last week, there was a little discussion on the front porch about the whole afterlife that's mentioned in the Scripture. Let me explain this real quickly, because I know this always opens up questions, a can of worms. It says, you will go down to Hades. Hades is the Greek word for the underworld. The Hebrew word for that is Sheol, and you'll see that it's used both uh, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. So Sheol and Hades are the exact same thing. It's the underworld. After you die. And in the underworld, there's two sides, because we go back to Luke that you'll see here uh, in the near future as we do this story about the rich man and and, in Abraham's bosom. So there's Abraham's bosom, there's paradise, there's the side that the believers go to. All the Old Testament believers that believed in the Messiah to come, they're there in Abraham's bosom, also known as paradise. And then there's the non-believers, that's the, the hell side. And if you remember the story in Luke, there's a ravine, and when Jesus actually dies, he goes to the belly of the earth, which is Hades' shoal, and he's there on the paradise side, and he shouts to those who are on the other side, says, I'm him, I'm the Messiah, I was the one that 
you did not see. And so he's literally saying to these Pharisees in Capernaum, you're going to end up on the hell side of Hades because you don't believe. It's going to be worse for you. I think the reason that they had that discussion last week is because I said hell was a temporary place. And somebody said that they had never heard that hell is a temporary place. Yeah, because in the end, the very end, and I'm obviously chasing a rabbit here, but uh, in the very end, those that are non-believers are cast into the lake of fire, which we talked about last week. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sorry if I just totally distracted you. But it says, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. He's like Sodom. You you remember Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah? That's like the Genesis, I believe it's chapter 19 in Genesis, where Sodom and Gomorrah are just this corrupt, evil place. I mean, there's all sorts. You go in there and you just read all sorts of evil that was going on there. And... God said, look, I'm just going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's like, wait, my nephew Lot's there. That's the story that he's talking about right here. Even Sodom has a better chance than you guys. Because you just can't see that I'm the Messiah. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. They got a better chance than you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the infants. (laughs) You know what he's saying here? He's got the two groups. He's got the disciples there and he's got the Pharisees there. And the Pharisees are all proud about what the knowledge that they know and everything and Then he's got his disciples there. These are the guys that never could become the rabbis, remember, and they went back to their father's businesses. They went back to be fishermen, tax collectors. They couldn't be rabbis. They they weren't the best of the best. And so he's saying, it's better for these infants, these young men, than it is for you who think you know everything. He says... Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son desires, whom the Son desires to reveal him. Now, that was a big verse. Uh, for me this week and just sitting there with those high school students because they expressed to me that they really, really, really had a desire to be spiritually grounded. That they, they wanted to know more. They wanted to, to biblically know more. And I appreciated their honesty and their transparency but at the same time I also understand Father it's your deal to reveal yourself to them Father this is your deal God you just said right here in this passage of scripture that Jesus it's going to be you that reveals yourself the Father to us 
And I pray as I sit here and read through the scripture and read through the scripture that he reveals more and more every day. Now watch this. Watch what he says. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Uh, my friend Bob uh, said this. He asked the question, who does he give rest to? Who does he give rest to? Who qualifies for rest? Though It says right there, those who are weary and burdened. If you want to get rest, you have to be weary and burdened first. Come to me if you're weary and burdened. And then I sat here and thought about it. I, th- I thought about all of you that sit out here and that we teach a, a, not only a physical rest, but a spiritual rest. There's a physical rest. You know, everybody translate that. You know, we're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy and we rest on Sunday or whatever. There's more to it than that. There's more. There, there's a whole spiritual rest. Like seriously, even though I got in at three thirty in the morning and I'm standing here uh, teaching the word, I'm resting right now because I believe that it's the Lord doing it through me. And I sat here and thought about uh, a lot of the people that are here, and the reason that they're here is because they got burned out being in other places. They worked and worked and worked and worked. And you come, you come here and you can just chill, chill out a little bit. <laughs> I knew it. I started naming y'all. I was driving last night and I just started naming. They came here because they were doing all the chair moving and setting things up and pipe and drape and, you know, making it look good and the welcome teams. And we've got donuts. And thank you for whoever does the donuts every week. And thank you for, (laughs) and we've we've got teleprompter people. And speaking of, they asked if anybody uh, finds it as a part of their ministry that can come and help move chairs in the morning, they would greatly appreciate that. Just on a weekly basis, we've we've kind of. When we came here eight years ago, which is crazy to think about, we were using all of our kids who are now uh, grown up and gone to college, and it's just kind of like faded out. But if it's on your heart to help us move chairs, that'd be great. As I sit here and read this, uh, give you rest. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Man, there's nothing more than I love to to teach uh, than Sabbath rest. I love teaching Sabbath rest, and that's for another day. But watch this. All of you, take up my yoke. That M is capitalized. Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I asked the high school kids what a yoke was, and one of them said, it's that thing that you put on a cow. It's that wooden thing. It's that wooden thing where you actually, it actually is, a wooden thing that you tie on to two oxen. It keeps balance and it pulls the plow as you plow the fields. But it's almost like, it's almost like a noose on them. But really what a yoke is and what Jesus is talking about here is, this is his 
interpretation of God's law. Like every rabbi had a yoke, and that was the interpretation of their law. Remember when the disciples came, they would always go and find a rabbi that taught specific law, just like you come here because just as as Dan said, we we teach, we teach something specific here. A little different interpretation. Maybe it was Danny that said that. But we we teach something a little different. And a lot of you come here for that. Some of you come here for the physical rest or the spiritual rest. But some of you come because we're teaching the same gospel. But with just a little different interpretation. And look, I've taught it the other way. I've taught it the other way. And I'm not going back to that. I'm not going back to that. This makes sense to me. Like the scripture finally makes sense. I was telling, had Mark West over and I was telling him last, uh, last week, uh, I never wanted to teach when I came. 1989, I came to youth. I just wanted to do the programs. I wanted to take kids to camp. I wanted to do all the fun stuff. I just never wanted to teach. It's because I didn't have anything to teach. Then all of a sudden I saw it a little bit differently. I was like, man, I got something to teach. Now I just want to teach. I'll drive all night long, get here, and I'll get up here because I want to tell you something that's incredible. That he's come to give you rest. To give you, he says, it's easy. You take that whole Mishnah thing, the 1,600 laws that they just made, or excuse me, 1,200 laws they made for keeping the Sabbath holy. God said, keep the Sabbath holy, and they added 1,200 laws to it. Their yoke is like insane, and you have to memorize it. Jesus says, Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Hello? My yoke is easy. If you're burdened and weary, just come love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and with all your mind and he said the second one is like it and I truly believe the second one is just a byproduct of the first one love others as you would love yourself be kind to one another if you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind that second one's natural it just happens Jesus said, I'm making this as easy as I can for you. They got all these laws. But watch this. High school students, watch this. He says, come to me. And he says, take. Like, you're going to do something here. And then he says, learn. Take and learn when I sit here and say you can have spiritual rest with this understanding there's a process that comes with it is that we have to learn we can keep repeating the same lessons over and over we keep bumping our heads over and over and over or we learn we learn I learn from this word right here I learn from hanging out with you. 
I learned from just hanging out in God's creation this week up in Door County, Wisconsin. Unbelievable. I take and I learn. Jesus said, come on. Hang out with me. Got to do something. Got to learn. But you can rest in me. And I'll even reveal it to you. Then... Uh, Luke 7, verse 36 says this. This is another story here. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. <laughs> this Pharisee, I was thinking about this, just kind of like unpacking this. There had to been two, one of two reasons that this Pharisee invited Jesus. One, I'm pretty sure, is because he wanted to see if he was the Messiah. He was doing the same thing. He's, I'm going to be the one to figure out if he's the Messiah. A little selfishness. Come to my house, Jesus. Hang out with me. I want to drill you with questions. We're past the observation time. Now I'm going to ask you questions. Or, Jesus has already done something incredible for this Pharisee. And he's just wanting to say thank you says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Remember, they didn't have chairs. They just laid, laid there at the table and ate. It says, And a woman in the town who was a sinner. <laughs> you won't see that too often after the cross. But this woman was identified as a sinner. And let me tell you what that specific sin was. She was a prostitute. A woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head and kissing them, his feet. Those feet that are in sandals walking in the dirt. Kissing them and anointing them with this fragrant oil. And if you go back and look at Mark and John, they even describe that oil that it costs 300 denarii. That's a whole year's salary. Like, whatever your salary is for the year, you bought a fragrant oil, and you're just pouring it on Jesus. Prostitute. It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man... If he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is. Who is touching him. She's a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus, he's looking at the Pharisee, and again, he does this thing all the time. He knows exactly what Simon's thinking. 
And he says right there, I just gave it away. He says, Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, wait a second. You just called him out by name. Simon the Pharisee. In the Matthew account, if you go back to Matthew, it refers to Simon as a leper. Hmm. Simon the leper. A Pharisee that might have been cured by Jesus. That's crazy. Jesus says, Simon, let me tell you something. Simon says, teacher, teacher. He recognizes him, teacher, says, say it. He says, a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will he love more? And Simon, being the educated Pharisee, answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he told him, you have judged correctly. And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Actually, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. My feet were dirty. I'm getting ready to eat. It's cultural for us to wash our feet, especially if our feet are this close to the table. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. That was cultural. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, you want to get on that comparison chart, what you've done and what she's done, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she is loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus, obviously, he looks down to her and says, your sins are forgiven. What? Because you know what we teach in here, right? When are the sins forgiven? At the cross. But Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. How can Jesus say your sins are forgiven? Because no sin is forgiven without the shedding of the blood. Remember the shedding of the blood that happened in the old covenant of the lambs and bulls and goats. It was for an atonement of sin. It just covered the sin. It didn't forgive sin. Only Jesus' blood forgives sin. And Jesus' blood hadn't come yet. So how can he sit here and look at this woman and say your sins are forgiven? Because he knows what is to come and he is identifying as I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. You don't believe me? I just said with authority that her sins are forgiven. 
I'm the Messiah. And he said it right in front of the Pharisee. I'm the Messiah. I have the authority to forgive sins. It says, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? Who is this man that's like blaspheming God? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look, let me tell you something real quick. The cross has happened. You're after the cross. Right? Right? That's good news. Your sins have been forgiven. (laughs) Hey, look. Everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you're going to do is forgiven. It's a done deal. He's not going back up on the cross. No more sacrifices. No more blood to be shed. Jesus already dealt with it. If you choose to take that as a license to go out and do whatever you want, that's not my deal. If you truly understand what Jesus did for you, that wouldn't be your desire in the first place. Your desire would be to be obedient to Him. And so look, I can literally walk this earth know that I'm still going to make bad choices sometimes. I'm still going to blow it. I'm still going to sin. I'm still going to sin. It's my choice. But I get over it. Because I know I'm forgiven. And I literally can live my life in peace. I live my life in peace. Look, you can say, oh, you make light of sin, whatever else. No, I don't make light of sin. I know what my Savior did. I know what my Savior did. He died for me. His blood was shed for me. And all the junk that I've done, doing, and going to do. Look, he did that long before I was even around. (laughs) Long before I was even around. He took care of it a long time ago. All I had to do was believe. Now watch this. Luke 8, 1 through 3. A couple more stories here real quick. 1 through 3. This is amazing. Because a lot of people just see this as a little transition. Soon afterward, he was traveling one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, the twelve disciples. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Now, that's kind of crazy to think about. That. He just said, Luke, this is Luke. He said there's some women that have been traveling with him and they like had evil spirits and sicknesses. These are like, hmm. But Jesus already healed them. Watch this. It says, Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons came out of her. Mary Magdalene. You know the one that was with Mary, Jesus' mother at the cross? Seven demons came out of Mary Magdalene. That's pretty wicked. And it says, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. That's the transition. You just read it and you went on. Whoa, 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 whoa. It says the women took their possessions and supported Jesus and the twelve. Now I know what you're thinking. 
Jesus like took a couple of fish, fed five thousand, fed three thousand another time. He told Peter to like go to the Sea of Galilee and catch a fish. There'll be two bits in his mouth, the fish's mouth. Yeah, Jesus can do whatever he wants. He can make things happen. But it's saying right here that the women came and took their possessions and they supported these men on the road. Go do your thing. We'll feed you. We'll take care of you. We'll provide for you. The women did this. Now here's... Here's even the crazier thing that you missed. <laughs> Who's the king of the Roman Empire that's in control of all this territory right now? Herod Antipas. Wait, wait, wait. Back up there. It says, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. Judah, what did your Bible call that person? The business manager. <laughs> Herod's business manager's wife is taking whatever she has and and basically paying for Jesus' ministry to her. That's crazy. King Herod, the dude that doesn't want Jesus around, stirring up all this trouble, and his businessman's wife is paying for his ministry. That's pretty funny. And you totally miss it if it's just read this little transition thing. You see, I believe that you can read the scripture over and over and over and God's going to continue to reveal things to you that you never ever saw before. You just have to dig a little bit. And then we got this story, Matthew 12, 22 through 37. Now the rubber hits the road. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. Hello, I think this might be one of those messianic miracles. It says, a demon-possessed man was blind and unable to speak. Yep. You see, because the Pharisees, they were able to cast out demons. And what they would do is they would come to the demon-possessed person and they would say, hey demon, what's your name? And the demon would tell them their name. And then the Pharisee would continue to call out that demon by its name. Come out, so and so. Well, if a deaf mute can't talk, the demon can't tell them its name and they can't call him out. It's another one of those miracles that only the Messiah is going to be able to do. Watch this. It says, blind man unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him. <laughs> That's all it says. He healed him. So that the man could both speak and see, and the crowds were astounded and said, perhaps this is the son of David. Now again, you go, the son of David, that's, I'm not saying he's the Messiah, but again, it might be because the prophet says that the Messiah comes through the lineage of David. We're not going to call him the Messiah, but possibly he could be coming from David. Maybe he's the son of David. And when Pharisees heard this, they said, 
The man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub, another name for Satan. They just sat there and said to Jesus, all the stuff you're doing, you're doing it under the power of the evil one. Are you kidding me? This is like Jesus was a Jew and his own people are telling him that he's doing these things under the power of the evil one. And knowing their thoughts, knowing their thoughts, he again speaks to them. He told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. 2017. Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. Hello? (laughs) You figure that one out. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, who is it your sons drive them out by? Wow. Wow. He's like slapping them around now. You saying, I'm doing this? What about you guys? If I'm doing this by Beelzebub, you guys are going to be worse than me. For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. How can possessions, how can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. And anyone who is not with me is against me. Like literally. If you want to like turn against me, if you want to say that I'm not the Messiah, you and your people will pay for it. Everybody that's following you. Your household will pay. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. The Jews have been scattered most of their whole society. Because of this, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. Now watch, he just said, anyone who blasphemes the Spirit will not be forgiven. Let me read further to make sense of what he just said because we have to keep it in the context of what Jesus said. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, if you're a believer, 
it's going to be natural for you to produce goodness. It's going to be natural for you to produce love. It's going to be natural for you to produce patience. It's going to be natural for you to produce kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, it's natural for you to produce evil. It's natural for you to be mean. It's natural for you to hurt people. And that's what he's saying right here. Is like there's, it's obvious, if you're going to say these things about me, if you're going to blaspheme the Spirit, watch this. It's not the words. The words is the fruit. It's the tree. It's the tree. You either believe or you don't believe. You're either a believer or you're not a believer. You either believe that I'm the Messiah or you believe that I'm not the Messiah. And if you choose to blaspheme the Spirit, your generation is going to be cut off. The whole group of you is going to be cut off. He then... Man, my Jesus, my pastel, sheep-holding, kid-loving Jesus looks at these Pharisees and calls them, you brood of vipers. You evil, religious men. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Again, the tree produces. What does the tree produce? It's what the heart is. If you have a heart of stone, you're going to produce evil. If you have a heart of flesh, you're going to produce goodness. It says, as a, a good man produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you, on that day of judgment... People will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Say what you want. It's just words, but it's the fruit of your tree. It says in Mark 3, 2, it says, Then they went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. <laughs> Did you hear that? His family, his mother and his half-brothers said, Jesus is crazy. He's calling these Pharisees brood of vipers. Your own family says, we got to get him out of here. He's nuts. His mom. Ha! His whole family didn't even like believe at this point. He's speaking out against the Pharisees. It says the scribes who had him come down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub in him, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. 
So he summoned them and spoke them in parables. Watch this as a close. It's basically what he says in Matthew. He says, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan rebels against himself and, it's, and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. On the other hand, no one, can, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he will rob his house. I assure you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they may, may blaspheme. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. That eternal sin is not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the only thing. Jesus covered everything on the cross. His blood poured out. No matter, I know there's people sitting here and saying, I know God can't forgive me of this. Yeah, Jesus, the only thing that's not covered on the cross is believing, is not believing that Jesus is the Messiah. That's it. What he's telling the Pharisees. You gotta believe. He says, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Key here is this. When we pick up the rest of the Gospels, watch. Jesus starts speaking in parables. And there's a reason for this. You thought the parables were to teach us to be good Christian people. The parables are there to say, hey, look, this is what God's kingdom is like, but we're not going to reveal it to the Pharisees. They're cut off. They're hidden. And all the people that follow them are cut off this generation. I'm going to tell you stories, and you watch. When he tells stories, he tells them in public, then he pulls the disciples aside, and he explains the parables to them. He wants them to understand about the kingdom of God. It's crazy. Read this thing. Figure this thing out. It's an amazing story. Father, I pray for uh, us today as we uh, just continue to dig in your word and realize that you and your son unpacked it right here on earth. And even today, you talk about divided kingdoms. You talk about trees and the fruit that are produced by the trees. And I pray that uh, this is just revealed more and more to us as followers of Jesus. I thank you for uh, what you've done for us, that you have forgiven us, that you love us. And today, uh, I thank you especially for our fathers. Thank you for uh, just who they are. Let them have a great day today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.